hello. Vanessa Longnecker here for your next episode of The Benefits Breakdown. Here with my co-stars. Hey, everybody. It's Jared Bocat with you down in Dallas. Hey, everyone. Adam Compton. Uh, excited to have our very special guest, James Slotnick. Uh, we're excited to get into a lot of things happening in the world. Uh, James is the head of government relations with Sun Life. And James, welcome to the podcast. Maybe we can kick off a little bit about you and dive into some fun today. Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It's always uh, always good to be on. Um, as Adam mentioned, I run uh, government relations for Sun Life US, employee benefits provider. So not a health insurer, but uh, with our stop loss business, we're we're involved in pretty much uh, the entire employee benefits gamut except retirement. Uh, but yeah, it's, it has been very stressful few weeks as we were talking uh, before we started. Very very stressful few weeks for me. Uh, but we're starting to see a little clarity on uh, where we, where things are going to end up on all the uh, the infrastructure packages. So that makes me very, very happy. Certainly does seem like there's a lot moving and shaking uh, on a daily, <laughs> if not by the hourly these days. Can you explain what the House's vote last week means for the traditional and human infrastructure plans at Bay? Yeah, Vanessa, you know, it's uh, the, these are million dollar questions that, that you're asking here. So on Friday, uh, late, late Friday, not even early Saturday. Morning, trillion that, dollar questions. Trillion. Right, 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 yeah. right, right, <laughs> trillions. But what's a few trillion between between friends? But yeah, so the House finally passed the, uh, you know, the air quote traditional infrastructure package, the bipartisan uh, infrastructure framework that uh, that the Senate, maybe it seems like a hundred thousand years ago, but uh, the Senate passed in August. That was a bipartisan a bipartisan vote, 69-30 in the Senate. Uh, so you had 19 Republicans that, that were on board there. And then, believe it or not, the the House vote was uh, bipartisan as well, with uh, 13 Republicans uh, voting with Democrats. And so that's the, the traditional, or, or some people call it the hard infrastructure package. So roads, bridges, highways, uh, about $500 and uh $550 billion in new money to rebuild the, you know, the, the infrastructure of the country. You'll hear all sorts of numbers thrown out. Some people say 550, some people say 1.2 trillion. There's some reallocations in there as well, but it's, it's 550 billion of new, uh, of new money. So that is a huge win for the Biden administration, a big win for uh, Democrats, moderate Republicans uh, that, that voted for it. There's some Republicans that are, are not as excited about it because uh, now that we're done with traditional infrastructure, we now move to human infrastructure. So that this is that certainly um, an infrastructure, very broad um, that's being used there. But the human infrastructure, the Build Back Better, as you may hear people talk about it, uh, the Build Back Better agenda for the Biden administration is rebuilding the care economy. So things like making more affordable daycare, health insurance, um, making health insurance more affordable, expanding health insurance care. Uh, to people, there's still some green energy initiatives in there as well. Housing, it's it's a it's a huge, uh, huge gamut financed by corporate and individual tax increases. So now that the human infrastructure, or excuse me, the traditional infrastructure is done, uh, the House is looking the week of November 15th to hopefully pass their version of human infrastructure. It'll have to go to the Senate. Um, the Senate will make a couple changes there, and then uh, the President would like to see that on his desk by by the end of the year. So we'll we'll see what happens there. We're talking about infrastructure, obviously the traditional infrastructure you explained, but maybe help us understand a little bit why people in the employee benefit space should be focused on this human infrastructure and what impact it could potentially have. Not only employers, obviously the tax ramifications are obvious of those tax increases, sure. but maybe from the employee benefit space, why our HR professionals sitting out there should say, how does this impact me and what I do for my employee benefits world? Yeah. You know, Jared, if we had talked 
say like three weeks ago, you know, the answer to that question would have been is it would have been totally different um, than what I'm going to give now. Because when you look back, say three, literally three, maybe even two and a half weeks ago, it looked like human infrastructure was going to include a national paid family medical leave program that would cover all Americans, regardless, uh, all working Americans, regardless of what state you were in. Even if you were in a state that had a paid leave program today, there'd be some coordination between those benefits. So that that was sort of number one with a bullet. And that, again, we'll get into sort of where that's moved. Um, but, you know, again, two and a half weeks ago, that was that was very important. Uh, it also appeared just a few weeks ago that there was going to be potentially major prescription drug uh, pricing reform that would be that would be in this package. And also, uh, you might remember Senator Bernie Sanders has been very vocal about having Medicare include a dental benefit, which why that doesn't really directly impact any of us uh, certainly would expand the number of folks, uh, just increase the number of people, I should say, that are going to the dentist. And we were concerned a little bit about given the rates that uh, dentists would receive from uh, from the government that maybe private uh, dental insurance premiums could go up. But as we sit here today, just you know, a few weeks uh, a few weeks later, you know, things have changed. The paid family and medical leave provisions. Now I know you're gonna for for those of you listening, you're gonna hear over the next couple of weeks a lot about paid family leave. And you're even going to hear next week that the house is the house the house's version of human infrastructure will include a national four week paid family medical leave program. However, you're going to have to trust me on this, and you'll and just look up Senator Manchin, Google Senator Manchin and paid family medical leave. Senator Manchin is not going to support uh, paid family medical leave being in the Senate version. So the House has decided they're going to pass human infrastructure with PFML. Senator Manchin is going to uh, demand that it comes out. And it's not that Man- Senator Manchin is against paid family medical leave. He just doesn't think this is the right package that uh, that should include it. He would like something that's payroll taxes, a little more self-sufficient, uh, which is not what the current proposal is. So you're going to hear a lot about PFML, uh, but again, it's not going to be in the final in the final package uh, on prescription drug reform. The the the, the drug pricing um, initiatives that are going to be included are significantly watered down from what it uh, originally appeared they would be. The, the major ones are going to allow, and th- there, there could be some impacts, though, on drug pricing on the private, uh, for private payers. Medicare is going to be allowed to negotiate the prices directly of certain drugs after they've been on the market for either nine or 12 years, and there's some uh, technical reasons uh, that there'll be some differences there. Those drug pricing negotiate, whatever the, the price Medicare negotiates uh, for those drugs, those are not going to be necessarily available to private payers. Um, so we do want to watch um, as we figure out exactly which drugs uh, Medicare is going to be able to negotiate the prices on. And again, it'll be pr- drugs have already been on the market for nine, either nine or 12 years. Um, that could drive some price pressure for certain prescription drugs. And then maybe on the good side of things, uh, this will apply to private payers. Uh, pers- again, as long as it stays in there and appears it's, it's going to. Um, the annual increase that pharmaceutical companies will be able to increase drug prices Will be capped at uh, at the lower of, or excuse me, at the higher of, at the higher of either inflation, the inflation rate from 2021, or that current year's inflation rate. Um, so that you know, inflation this year, what's called like five percent. So that would essentially cap price increases on drugs on the market at five percent per year. Now, if inflation in say 2028, you know, hopefully this isn't the case, but say inflation in 2028 is, and I'm just picking 2028 as a random number, um, is say seven percent. Then uh, drug companies will be able to increase prices by by uh, by by whatever that is seven percent twelve percent whatever that number is in the future. But again, it'll be the it'll be the the five percent inflation rate will be this year's rate. 
So drug prices will be uh, increasing at least 5% a year if manufacturers want to do that. And then on dental and Medicare, that's that's not going to be included in the package. So, um, you know, Jared, it, it is interesting. You know, this was human infrastructure. The centerpiece of it for a long period of time was prescript, major prescription drug reform and uh, national paid family medical leave program. But as things have evolved, um, those have fallen off. So, and there are some, there are some tax increases we can talk about. Um, we can certainly talk about as well. We still want to watch things and you're going to hear a lot about paid family medical leave and your employees might hear about it and they might ask you about it, but you, you got to trust me, just Google Senator Manchin paid leave. Like he's on the record about this many times. He is not going to accept the national uh, paid family medical leave program in the final Senate bill. James, just to expand on that, you mentioned Senator Sanders pushing for uh, dental coverage within Medicare. Is that being taken off the table? Just to, I wanted to clarify that because yes, in my opinion, yeah. that could have huge ramifications as far as, because if you look at how Medicare impacts private insurance on the health side, it could have huge right. ramifications on the dental side as well. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's what we were concerned about. It's not it's not being opposed to uh, expanding access to, to dental coverage for seniors. It's what it does, the, in the unintended consequences to the uh, to the overall dental health, uh, dental insurance market. And yes, it was one of the more expensive provisions of, um, of the proposal. And it was really tied to a major prescription drug reform, which was to, which would have saved Medicare a significant amount of money, but with, with major prescription drug reform off the table, uh, dental and Medicare is awful is also off the table. It does appear, uh, the only expansion to Medicare will be uh, hearing benefits will be uh, put in the, the core Medicare Part B program, but neither vision nor uh, nor dental will. Okay, so both vision and dental are off, off the table, right? Okay. But hearing hearings on there, yes. And that's and that's really you know you know you think of uh, Medicare with Senator Sanders, but Senator Cinema, um, who obviously is very important as well, has been um, a strong uh, a strong supporter of expanding. Um, those hearing benefits in Medicare. And as you know, she's, you know, she's got a lot of power these days. And so that that's one of those things that's going to be. In. You talk about the fact that paid family and medical leave program will, will likely not, it'll be off the table for this bill. What does it look like? Do you think as we look to the future or an alternate bill? Yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I, this is an issue. Um, th this is the issue that I have, you know, worked on the most, uh, you know, on the Hill this year, virtually on the Hill, I guess. Um, and, and it comes down to Sun Life as an employee benefit insurer. You know, we provide short-term disability. And in the states that require uh, paid family medical leave, we offer those benefits as well. And so we've been trying to figure out what does a national paid family medical leave program mean for the short-term disability insurance business? And what does it mean for the, 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 the paid leave benefits that we, um, you know, we help your clients provide today? And, you know, the, the reality is um, if paid family and medical leave is not in this bill, which again, it's going to be in the House bill, but it's not going to be in the Senate bill. And just, just in terms of the logistics, the House is going to pass something the week of the 15th. The Senate's probably going to pass something in December, and then it's going to have to go back to the House and the House is going to accept the Senate bill. I mean, that's kind of the plan. Um, so what comes out of the House is a little bit more messaging than, than anything else. So paid leave will be in the House bill. So the House members will be able to say, hey, we passed a four-week national PFML program. It'll come out of the Senate bill. Folks in the House will say, this is really terrible that it's not in here, but there's all kinds of other great stuff. So we're willing to you know, move forward with, with the Build Back Better bill. And you know, just directly to your question, you know, it looks like to us that that, you know, for the foreseeable future, takes a national paid family and medical leave program off the table. Um, and, and the reason for that is right now, Democrats are using budget reconciliation to pass this bill, which means you don't need any Republican support. You just need all 50 Democrats to stay on the same page. You can only use budget reconciliation once a fiscal year. So the next time budget reconciliation would be available is October 
of 2022. That's way too close to the November midterms for November 2022 midterms. So there's not going to be another budget reconciliation bill. So then the next opportunity will be, okay, well, is there a bipartisan path forward for a national paid family medical leave program uh, through November 2022? And, and the answer is no, there, there really isn't. Um, you know, there, Senator Manchin, the, the, the idea he supports is a payroll tax supported PFML program. Uh, there are just not 10 Republicans that support that, um, that type of program. And you need 60 votes to get around the filibuster. So you need, you need 10 Republicans to support that. So you don't, so we don't see a, again, 2021, 2022, we don't see PFML, uh, national PFML program as possible. And then it is very likely, more likely than not, that Republicans will be able to take the House of Representatives in, in the, those uh, November 2022 midterms. So then when you turn the page to 2023, 2024, doesn't appear that, that we have that have that as well. So, you know, near term future, federal PFML comes off the table. I will say, Vanessa, you know, what I if 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 I was a if I was running benefits for a company, what I would be watching is what we've heard directly is the PFML advocate community, the ones that are really driving um, the federal conversation today. They are going to shift back <clears throat> to the state that they were in before this year, which is uh, go going to the states, um, and we're going to see a massive push in states that have Democratic trifectas, so Democratic governor, Democratic House of Representatives, uh, Democratic uh, Senate, to try to push something over the, uh, over the finish line. Some places that we've been told, um, and we're seeing some, some legislative activity, Maine is looking at a, a, a state PFML program, Delaware, those are probably two more. But as you're, if you're a multi-state employer, you, you have to be saying, okay, today there are 10 states, or excuse me, nine states in DC that have um, state PFML programs. Uh, Potentially over the next three or four years, you could see another two, three, four states do that. So by the time we get to 2024, you could have 13 or 14 state PFML programs, which just from an administrative standpoint is 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 difficult. So paid family leave is not going away. Um, if anything, now that the House is going to include it in their bill is only going to embolden um, the advocate community and they are going to shift gears um, to really push hard on the state level to try to get uh, as many states to pass uh, paid family leave as possible, paid family and medical leave as possible. Well, and that's a big deal, right? We've got employers that have been hiring yeah. virtually coast to coast, right? Employers that used to, you know, potentially serve, you know, teammates in one local community that have expanded beyond those walls tremendously. So how they navigate that is quickly, right? Created new complexities for employers. It's a fabulous point. Um, you know, that, that obviously, I'm just a lobbyist, so I don't, I don't think these through things like you do. But you're right. As as we are hiring more virtually, um, again, you may say, "Oh, we are, our best, this best person for uh, for this job is in Massachusetts, and that's going to be your only person in Massachusetts." Well, you're going to have to provide them with a very rich paid family and medical leave benefit because uh, they live here, or if they're in um, if they're in New Jersey or you know wh wherever they are. Um, as those states expand, it just just becomes more administratively burdensome. You're absolutely right, Adam. You get to deal with that in California. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I uh, genuinely appreciate that. Well, I think it brings up a, another piece you brought up before was prescription costs. And if you get the government involved, and maybe we look at a traditional hospital system. If I look at where my money comes in as a hospital and my reimbursements from the Medicare side of the house, it often might be built back in on the employer side of the house because one has to offset the other. So I kind of wonder in the Medicare space, does that involvement functionally drive down the cost of the system? Or hey, employer, I get it's going to look good on one side because of this robust negotiation from a government perspective. Or frankly, our employers come renewals 
in 2023 and beyond going to start saying rates renewals because it's got to be paid for someplace. So you think industry is coming down as an overall cost or is it it's got to be paid for by well, somebody? It, it's tough. You know, I, and I, you know, I have I just you know, pulled up the, um, the fact sheet in front of me here. So basically biologic drugs after they've been on the market for 12 years, Medicare is going to be able to negotiate the drugs. Now, what what the what the prices for those are now, what the what the guardrails are around that, you know, are still unclear, but there's going to be direct negotiations, which today there, there are not, um, those negotiated prices are not going to be available to the private payers. So if, you know, and, and by you know, so if there's XYZ biologic drug that's been out there for 12 years, that is, uh, you know, whatever the cost is today, um, you know, that for pharmaceutical company is going to want to continue to make money off of those drugs. And if they're getting lower prices from the federal government, you know, that, that, that's always been, and again, it's not, that's never the, um, the aim of these proposals is never to raise prices on the private payers. Um, it's it's to try to lower prices for everyone because budget reconciliation is being used. There's a lot of there's a lot of very strict rules around um, around how far reaching the government can go outside of things that the government pays for. Um, but this has been if you look at Senator Sanders, one of the reasons uh, likely he is willing to back off of the dental and Medicare is his maybe his number one thing even beyond that has been medicare negotiating drug prices and again this 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 is only for a limited amount of drugs there's a lot of guardrails around it but it take no make no mistake um yes i mean i think to answer your question the the we have to be watching what happens to these things as if the government's paying less and the pharmaceutical companies want to make the same um you know the logical place to look is you know unfortunately the the, the private side of them but James, correct me if I'm wrong, would there not be that, I guess, offset of they can only raise them as high as the inflation rate? Is that what that law is going to do? Well, I mean, I guess I guess that's the flip side of it. Yes. Like, so the from an annual increase standpoint, you'd only be able to increase it really at five, either 5% or their annual rate of inflation, whichever is higher. So Jared, I guess to your point, maybe there is some savings there and maybe that, and, and I know that those, and uh, you know, to your point, that's really why those two... Um, Provisions are tied together, um, so the private payers can't see, you know, like a thirty percent increase. Um, so it's five or seven percent, I guess, if you count that as a savings. <laughs> yeah, I guess is that good? Like, I don't, you know, and so that, you know, that's what's controversial is, yeah, what 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 some of the advocates wanted was tie it to inflation. So if inflation goes up one point three percent, that's what you can do. But there's this either or of, all right, we'll take this year's inflation, which this is not political statements. Inflation's high this year. I mean, you know, I mean, there's no like, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. So you have a 5% floor of it's either based on 21, 2021's inflation rate or the current year's inflation rate. Um, and if you have that 5% floor, you know, to your point, there's obviously been a lot of lobbying done here. And, you know, what I, where I would uh, just, you know, given our own experience with paid leave, I would anticipate that the pharmaceutical companies, once they realized things were coming to like this was going to happen, to your point, a 5% increase allowance is maybe not the worst outcome for them versus, uh, you know, just tying it to actual inflation, which always isn't 5% or hopefully not 5% going forward, because that's that's a tough, tough number every year. Clearly a lot of moving pieces here. Obviously, uh, paid family medical leave will be one we'll be watching closely and will impact employers, whether it ends in the bill or it resides in the states. It's it's a new level of complexity for our client base alike. You know, the Build Back Better legislation includes a lot of benefit provisions 
a lot of that clearly has changed in a very rapid timeline, but we're still tracking ACA affordability limitations. Oh, right, we're looking right, at right. new extended marketplace subsidy potentials. Uh, we're looking at increased penalties under mental health parity and addiction. Any thoughts on any of those pieces of the puzzle alike? Um, no, I mean, I, I again, when part of the reason why, you know, we, we and again, maybe I don't want to be hyper focused on on paid leave, but you know, we've get we're getting a lot of questions of why aren't there any champion? Why aren't people willing to say we're not going to vote for this bill if paid leave isn't in there? And uh, you know, Vanessa, frankly, you know, you're you're doing my job for me. There's there's so much in this bill that progressives and even moderate Democrats are able to say this is going to have a huge impact um, on so many different people on, on so many different levels from capping the amount of, uh, of childcare costs, uh, for individuals, two years of free, uh, two years of free preschool. Um, some of the things like you're mentioning were expanded ACA subsidies. Also for those 12 States that have not expanded their, uh, Medicaid programs. Um, there's a group of individuals that's kind of weird, but they, they make too much for Medicaid, but they don't make enough to, uh, receive a, a subsidy for the ACA exchanges. Those individuals, at least for the next three years, are going to have access to ACA exchanges and the subsidies that are on there. So there, again, if you're a progressive or you're a moderate Democrat, you're saying, well, you know, we didn't get, and this is, you're starting to see the, um, you're starting to see the messaging change a lot from Democrats on this as, as we kind of get to the end of, yeah, we couldn't do everything. You know, we wanted a $6 trillion bill or we wanted a $3 trillion bill. We're going to get a $175 trillion bill. And it doesn't do everything, but it does so, it does, you know, I'm, I'm sort of speaking as, you know, the talking points would go, it does so much that we couldn't do everything this time. Um, but certainly, you know, they, they're going to claim, you know, compl not complete, but a very strong victory, uh, given all the things that are in there. And to your point there, there are a lot of different wide ranging, um, wide ranging initiatives that are. In there. So the always fun question is, how is this going to be funded? I mean, all these changes, yeah. <laughs> there's a cost associated with it. How is that going to impact the employers? What kind of uh, corporate tax rates are we looking at? What, what are those changes and how will that impact employers? Yeah, Jared, that, that's another question. Literally, we talked three weeks ago. If, if we had, you know, I give you a crazy question, an answer about corporate rates increases and everything. And Center Cinema has uh, changed that entire narrative um, on the corporate side of things where the real key, uh, so if, if, if you're a large multinational company, one of the largest in the world, um, you're going to be uh, you're going to have a a fifteen percent book minimum tax. So there'll be a a new way to calculate your taxes based on um, your book income, and you'll pay fifteen percent minimum uh, rate on that. It's it's not it's not an alternative minimum tax because that that is actually another thing. But it is essentially like a third way to calculate your taxes. Where um, and it, I'm not sure if corporate AMT actually was uh, was repealed in 2017. Um, so I guess really there's only two, but you know, you'll do your taxes regular. And then, uh, if you're one of these largest companies, you'll have this 15% minimum book tax and that's, and that's endless. And I, I'm not, I'm not sure if, um, if this is accurate or not, but you certainly hear the president talk about, you know, there's 50 companies that don't pay any income taxes and that's, you know, it depends on how you want to read, um, you know, how you want to interpret that. But if you're not one of the 50 or hundred largest companies in the world, um, you know, th th there's going to be. Maybe and, and this is probably better. Not as much corporate tax impact now. However, if you're on the smaller side of things and you're a partnership or you're an S corp, um, some of the individual tax increases for owners of companies, there's going to be a lot of tax planning opportunities because all of a sudden income that you're getting today that you may not have to pay uh, Social Security or Medicare payroll taxes on. You know, you're paying yourself a salary, but then maybe you're dividending yourself money or you're making distributions out of those partnerships or S corps. 
those today you don't pay general, you don't pay employment taxes on the Social Security, Medicare, payroll taxes, um, and they're not subject to the uh, Affordable Care Act's 3.8% net investment excise tax. Um, well, now those individuals, if you make more than 400000 you're owning a business, you're making those distributions, that 3.8% excise tax um, is going to apply to you. So uh, again, it's a little more targeted. Um, it's a little more targeted than what we saw in the original versions, which were increasing the corporate rate sort of across the board. Um, and it's really targeting wealthiest uh, individuals, uh, those make more than $400,000 a year, and largest corporations. And, you know, Jared, the real proof in the pudding will be uh, over the next few weeks, the Congressional Budget Office is going to score all these provisions, and they will see how much revenue this, this brings in. Uh, one of the more controversial parts is I think there's $400 billion of new revenue from added IRS enforcement. Um, and that's kind of like a wishy-washy, you know, it depends on who you want to talk to, you know, is the IRS really going to, you know, what, by giving the IRS more funding, is that really going to bring in $400 billion over the next 10 years? I don't know. I'm not, a, you know, that's not my, I'm just a lobbyist, but, uh, but that's certainly one of those provisions and that that's, you know, that's like, you know, a quarter of the bill, uh, wow. revenue. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Well, you certainly know how to keep things interesting, James. We well, appreciate it's not me. I just report the news. I don't make it. You know? <laughs> well, I am certain as we look to the future, we would welcome further dialogue as these things play out. We certainly value your input, insights, and um, recommendations, and certainly know that this is a moving target. And what we talk about today is ever-changing, but what fun would it be otherwise, right? Vanessa, I think this is good for like four days. So uh, <laughs> or I think we'll be good to the end right? of this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. I mean, you have to come back, James. You know that, yeah. right? That well, that's what I'm trying to do. You know, it's re, you awesome. know, repetitive guests. Yeah, like absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you again, James. Good stuff indeed. And we value your time. Thank you to our listeners. More fun to come. Great. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Benefits Breakdown. This episode, in combination with our previous episode, titled Population Health and Mental Health, How Employers Are Better Caring for Their Employees, is eligible for one SHRM credit. The code for SHRM credit is 22U5YGV. That's 22-U as in uniform, 5Y as in Yankee, G as in golf, V as in Victor. This code expires after December 31st of 2022. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And be sure to tune in to our next episode.